insult and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I invite uh, Maureen to read our first reading. A reading from 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. <clears throat> Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Invite Mary Claire to read the gospel, please. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapters 2, 13 to 22. <clears throat> The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years. And will you raise it up in three days? But as he was speaking of the temple, sorry, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
I would like to begin with uh, a story that we've read in the gospel uh, today about Jesus cleansing the temple. Uh, some people who they, you know, they criticize Jesus for um, for what he did in driving out the people from the temple. And some some people said that Jesus was violent in what he has done. And um, it's only John who mentions that Jesus uh, had a whip and he tried to drive them uh, drive drive them out. The other gospels um, mention this incident, but they mention it differently. They say that um, Jesus, uh, when he came into the temple, he turned turned over the tables uh, of the money changers and uh, and the seats of those who were selling doves and told them to get out. But it is only John that mentions that they were in the temple, they were sheep and there were cattle. And that uh, John and, and Jesus made a whip and drove them out. So I believe that um, um, the whip was not for the people. It was really to round up the sheep and the, and the cattle uh, to drive them out. So this is, I just want to mention it because uh, many, many times I hear people who say, well, Jesus was violent when he did, uh, when he drove the people out, you know. But I will, uh, so I wanted to just to mention this. The three gospels, uh, the four gospels mentioned the story, but it was only John that mentions that there was a whip. And, but it's only John that mentions that even in the temple, there were cattle and sheep. And Jesus said, this is not the place for these, um, for these cattle. They have to get out uh, uh, because um, my house is a house of prayer. And the zeal of the Lord uh, was uh, uh, consumed Jesus in that sense. So this is, we can come back to it if you would like to, 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 to say more about it. But I'd like to mention two or three other things about this before I turn it into our discussion. Uh, <clears throat> one is about cleaning house. Um, so Jesus felt that the temple was being used in a very exploit, exploitative way, exploiting the, the poor people uh, who had to buy uh, for the sacrifices, had to buy things. They have to change the money from their own currency into the temple currency. And, that, uh, and people took uh, advantage of that uh, exchange of money. Um, um, uh, and Jesus um, um, 
draw them out. Now, the, in Lent, I think, Lent is a time where we try to clean up our inside, um, our inner chambers of our hearts, of our minds. Um, and we, uh, there are so many things. And I believe that it is appropriate to say that it is good to invite Jesus to help us clean house in that sense. Uh, let the light of Christ shed its light to the dark places within ourselves, within our hearts and minds. Sometimes there are things that we don't want people to know about. So these dark corners. And I think it's important that we think about Lent as also a time of cleaning uh, our own inside and here I remember the words of the psalmist who said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So does fasting help us? Or does fasting and prayer help us clean house, clean our inside? Is a question for us to think about. Another point that I'd like to raise in this uh, that Jesus also noticed the abuse of the holy place. Um, that the temple was being abused uh, and has become corrupt. And uh, because of the way the priests who were in charge were using it as a business place. And I, I have several questions around this. Basically the same question, but in different ways we talk about it. Should we become angry when we see abuse of the holy? Should, shouldn't we have a zeal for the holy? Shouldn't we have a zeal to really express our anger? Should we, shouldn't we have righteous anger many times when you look around nowadays uh, politically and maybe socially and in so many other ways? Uh, don't you, aren't you filled with zeal? Aren't you filled with righteous anger? Um, how do you channel it? Sometimes we, in, in many places where there is a dictatorship, people are silent, they are afraid to speak out. But in a dem democratic uh, rule, in a democratic country, we're supposed to raise our voices when, when we have a righteous anger against things that are happening. So this is another question that I'd like to, to, to express. Finally, Jesus also um, mentioned that due to the, to the sin and the, and the commercialization of the temple and the corruption, the temple will be destroyed. And 
a new temple will rise up. And after the resurrection, we know that the church came into being. And so the question is, the community of faith becomes the temple of God. We don't need a building. It is the community that becomes the place where the Holy Spirit is active in, in them, in the community. And God's temple is holy. And you are the temple of God. It is the people who make up the temple. And I wonder, is the message of Jesus about the temple and its destruction, can it also be a message for us, for our churches, for our communities? Are we, is our agenda of ministry, is the agenda of God for God's dream about the world? or what, what needs to happen in the world, are we as churches fulfilling that? Are we doing God's will? Is our agenda in fulfilling God's agenda? These are some of the questions that I felt I wanted to share with you as we look at this beautiful incident of the temple as John, uh, the Gospel of John uh, relates it to us. So with that, I'm gonna stop and invite you. Uh, there are a number of thoughts, a number of questions that I've mentioned, and maybe we want to reflect on one or more of that uh, in our discussion at this time. So Omar, please, uh, um, can you open it up for discussion at this time? Thank you, Assis. And people can, uh, um, as, as it is the norm, you can either raise your hand physically or virtually, um, or write me on the chat and I will, um, and will unmute you. Doing it in the order as I see um, people um, requesting to speak. Um, Robert? Thank you. I, I think uh, Naeem is so right in uh, what he's saying. In the other Gospels, it, it, there's this idea, oh, you've turned this into a den of thieves, implying there's something dishonest in the way they're doing it. Jesus is saying the whole thing is wrong. And I really like the idea that as we become the temple, and it seems to me we should also ask ourselves and reflect on if Jesus were to walk in today into our churches, what tables would he overturn? Uh, what tables would be overturned. And the whole thing of, of the having to buy sheep and cattle and so forth, put up barriers between the people and God. And so I think we need to ask ourselves, what barriers do we put up between the people and God? And during this time of Lent, how can we begin to deconstruct and remove those? You know, there's barriers of, of racism and sexism and of looking down on people who come from different places. So this is a good season to try and remove those barriers that we've constructed between uh, God and, and the people. 
Thanks. Thanks, Robert. Thank you. Very helpful. Um, Radia, Auntie Radia. Uh, you said whether we should uh, have a zeal in uh, proclaiming the unrighteousness as Jesus did when he walked into the temple and saw them using it as a marketplace. Unfortunately, many, many churches, I don't want to pinpoint which churches, but there are many, especially leaders, uh, pastors or uh, influential people who stay quiet or are biased in not raising the real truth of unrighteousness in the way we treat people, the way we discriminate, and in the way of not raising their voices and uh, standing for the truth of all who are oppressed or, or being violently mistreated and, and even maybe in the churches, the teachings may not be the proper way of getting that so-called community to be conscious of these things. Thanks, Radia. I'm wondering about the uh, experience during these um, this past year of um, the churches being forced by the uh, pandemic to use the kind of method we're using today. In many ways, it seems to me that uh, for this kind of purpose, there's been some enrichment um, and people have got together um, electronically, I suppose you could say, which has rendered our buildings, uh, well, they've been rendered um, in large parts of the world unusable. And that strikes me as very interesting that at the, the very moment when the we've been forced to use these electronic means and our buildings have become um, temporarily anyway redundant, that, that, that churches have found ways of um, coming together and listening to the word of God uh, in, in, in quite unexpected ways, to me anyway. And I'm wondering what that has to say in the light of the, uh, the saying of Jesus in this story about the destruction of the temple as a building, as a cultural center. Um, I'm wondering what people feel about these circumstances that have allowed us or required us to meet um, around the word of God in scripture and, and so on in, in ways that are quite, um, been quite creative. I know there's been a lot of loss as well. I'm not 
diminishing that. But I think it's a quite interesting thing that's been going on over this past year. Certainly, I've, I've valued that myself. And I wonder what other people think. Thank you, Don. Very good, uh, important point. Is it my turn? Omar? Oh, yes, it's your turn, uh, Joyce. Sorry, I was... Um... Okay, thank you. Two things, if I may. One, talking about barriers. I am restricted in my mobility, so I get around in a powered wheelchair. Most churches have steps to their front door. <clears throat> Sometimes many steps to their front door. Now there might be a back door where they will allow us to go in on the flat and then we come out of the door which the minister, the person, normally comes out of and everybody's looking at us. Um, I'm thinking, um, where can I escape to? Um, so there's a, th those are other barriers. Sometimes they're physical, not just the ones we've already spoken about. Um, now, what was the other thing that was being discussed? Oh, yes, I was just going to say about the way that YouTube and Zoom, having been used for worship services and so on, and prayer meetings and Bible studies and all sorts of things like that, um, in fact, the proportion of the population, certainly in the UK, that have made contact with worship under those circumstances is many times the number who actually turn up normally at churches for <laughs> worship. They may have been people who've been hurt, I don't know. But anyway, they they contact has been made electronically. We don't always know who they are, but we know that there are a lot of people seeking and finding in these new ways something to answer what they need. Thank you, Joyce. That's it. Thank you. Um, Caroline? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was very interested in what everybody is saying and um, particularly, uh, you know, Naeem, I was very interested in your question, should we become angry when we see abuse of the holy and, uh, you know, how do we channel uh, righteous anger? And I think that is such an important thing to reflect on because um, I know particularly when you know, I think what is going on in Palestine and Israel, you know, sometimes I, I can't, I, I'm really sorry, but sometimes I, ju I just can't even listen to it because when I hear of, of the abuse um, that goes on um, and, and how, you know, people get away with that, with, with treating people the way they treat them it's as though this this anger 
just erupts with it with inside me and uh, especially you know also when I'm in school where I'm a chaplain and you know I think one day I, I did a, a little presentation uh, towards Holy Week and I did mention you know something about what was going on in in Israel Palestine and and I, I said you know, the, the crucifixion continues, you know, people are, are still crucified there. And uh, there was um, a Jewish teacher there and she was furious with me. And uh, she sent me this email complaining and saying that, you know, I was inflaming, you know, I used inflammatory language and actually, when, when I spoke, you know, I just, I did feel righteous, a huge amount of righteous anger, but I didn't feel hatred, um, you know, towards the perpetrators. But, but I, I, I think the way that we express, or at least the way I, I express myself, it is so, so important. And I guess I, I'm linking it in a little bit with um, name, when, when you say about creating within us a clean heart, because actually that righteous anger, from my perspective, needs to come from a clean heart. Because if, if I'm just erupting, even though the, ang the anger is righteous, then I'm going to hurt somebody else, you know, because I, my my anger is not containable. So um, I have to somehow express that righteous anger in a way which uh, does not harm another person in any way, physically, spiritually, especially spiritually as well, I think, you know, emotionally. And, and to me, that is an immense challenge. And sometimes when, um, you know, I particularly, I remember, Naeem, when you visited the UK many, many years ago, and we had a meeting in Bath, and there was a, a Zionist there and who was really attacking you. And I can remember, you know, this anger rising in me. And also, I, I guess I want to just put a question, particularly to Omara and to yourself. You know, how do you remain, if you like, kind of with righteous anger, but not, uh, you know, hot-blooded. You know, Jirius, my friend, Jirius Sharma, he always used to say to me, keep cool-blooded. And, and I guess I'm putting that question, trying respectfully to ask you that question. You know, how, um, how, do, you how do you channel that anger? Because uh, I'd be very grateful to know. Thank you very much. Thanks. Caroline, you know, it's not easy as you mentioned, you know, it's not easy. And, uh, and sometimes um, when I burst out or when I respond, sometimes I regret that, you know, because sometimes I cannot control myself. I cannot control uh, what, I, uh, what I'm saying, uh, what I need to say. So, and this is where the community comes in, you know, where we need to help each other with this, you know. 
but you know, in a situation as you also mentioned, you know, back home, uh, I mean, recently, I mean, these, the Israeli army rounded up young boys, you know, very young, you know, I couldn't believe it, you know. I mean, I'm sitting here in a comfortable place in the States, um, but I was full of anger, you know, just watching what was going on, you know. Um, how do we deal with this, you know? And, and sometimes some of us have become too quiet, you know, you know, because people don't like it when you, when you burst out or when you cry out or when you raise your voice and so on. So we've been taught to, to, to manage our anger, to, to stop it and so on. It's very difficult. And yet I think there is a place for righteous anger. There is a place for saying, this is wrong. You cannot do this, you know. And I'm sure many people do it and, and sometimes we do it. Um, but I confess it's not easy. It's not easy. But thank you for your comment. Yeah. And maybe others want to reflect on this as well. Um, I'd like to also reflect, but I think first let Antisider speak. Thank you, Omar. You know, I'm thinking about building the temple. Now, if we look at our situation here in Israel, Palestine, it's all about building the third temple. Now, I can very much understand people wanting to pray and to worship in a place, in a building, in a temple. And I can, I, for me, it's not that important. I mean, it's not at all important if I can go on Easter to the Holy Sepulchre or not be able to go. But I have friends like in Ramallah and in Nablus who feel, I call it a spiritual death because they are not given permission to come to the place where it happened. And the place is so near, so near, just 10 miles away. And they are deprived of coming to, to um, worship in the Holy Sepulchre, to light a candle, to kneel down, to uh, kiss an icon. I mean, for some people, place and touch and being there and smelling the incense is so important. It is of the utmost importance. But like now, the whole thing, the whole conflict boils down to who owns the place of the Dome of the Rock. It all boils down to a rock. And I wish, I just pray all the time that this can be solved. If both people can pray close to each other, or why is the place, the spot so important that it's keeping the two people apart and standing, actually standing in the way of finding a solution. And the Jewish people so much want to build their temple. For them, it's of the utmost importance I understand, I, can, I try to understand, but for the Muslim people, it is of the utmost important also to keep the Dome of the Rock. It is the, the third holiest place. And I'm so happy that for us Christians, place is not of the utmost importance. But if somebody can just find a solution to this place of worship, maybe half, half the problem will go away and peace will be much, much closer. Thank you. Thanks, Cedar. But you know, not all Jews want to build a temple. You know, it's really the, uh, not even some of the ultra 
orthodox. You know, they say they have to wait until the Messiah comes. But um, um, I still remember once when I was speaking in the in Americas um, about uh, Jerusalem, and I mentioned that if Jews want to uh, build a temple, you know, why uh, why not build it outside the uh, the Haram area? Uh, why do they have to have to tear down the Muslim uh, place, shrine, in order to build? And um, and later on, some of the professors at the university where I was speaking, they said, who told you we wanted to build a temple? But these were secular Jews. You know, they did not care about uh, building a temple uh, there. But it's very interesting, you know, nowadays you're right. There are so many of these religious fanatics who want to take over the Haram area, which is unfortunate and it's tragic if that happens, you know. Um, well, thank you for your comment. Maria? Maria? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was thinking about this seal for the holy you talked about and and um, because it has become a very difficult and even political question and i i wonder so much from where comes this this uh, will to to kind of uh, attack which is whatever is holy for other people uh, i mean you, we know all the this uh, uh, drawings of the prophet Muhammad that um, caused a big difficulty both in Paris and also here in Copenhagen. We have a so-called artist that put what he called in, you know, in circulation places. He made from wood, uh, he said dogs, and he's put like uh, the, the picture of the prophet on this and, and so he has been guarded by the police since then because they say that so many want to kill him. And I mean, even for us Christians, so-called artists have been doing uh, things that they say is art, like putting a, a crucifix in urine and so on. And I wonder from where comes this interest in uh, doing like this with whatever other people looks upon as holy? Or, or important symbol for what they feel is holy. But I, I mean, I agree with Cedar. It's the community and, and the people are the most important. So it's not maybe these things, but, but for many, they are very, very important. And I wonder why so many are interested in attacking them. Yeah, Marie, thank you for, for what you said. You know, I was think when I was preparing for this session, uh, I was thinking about what uh, what happened, you know, when uh, with those cartoons, you know, and about uh, uh, Muhammad, um, and I was I was wondering. I mean, I was reflecting on it myself, you know. I was unhappy to see how some of the Muslim fanatics, you know, responded, and probably some Christian fanatics would respond as well that way. And yet at the same time, is this, is this the zeal that I think we need to be 
and this is the way we, we need to express our zeal. Um, so as Christians, I, uh, so I'm very glad you, you mentioned that, you know, it is, uh, it is something that we have to wrestle with, you know, um, and I think maybe part of the answer is what you and Cedar have said, you know, we need to rise above that kind of logic and think about the community, the community of faith that is faithful in its witness, uh, rather than uh, having a zeal that is many times blind, blinded, well, and it's not, it's not really the right way to express what's happening today. Yeah, thank you. Other comments, please. Um, Judas? Judas, please unmute yourself. You are on mute. There we are. I hope I'm unmuted now. Um, yes, I, I think a lot of so-called Christians have uh, been real zealous about unimportant things, you know, <laughs> like um, they, they uh, in the name of Christianity, they'll discriminate against lots of people. And, you know, what are, what are you wearing, um, you know, women? must have a head covering and things like that in the old days. Not so much now, thank goodness. But um, if, if the part in Corinthians about uh, God's foolishness, uh, that is so interesting. Um, and when, you know, when, when uh, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> when Pilate put Jesus to death and he told him, I have power over you, you know, why don't you talk to me? And Jesus said, you don't know anything about power or something to that effect. You don't know. You don't know power, and uh, I think that you know most people look on what Jesus had to go through as such um, such a terrible thing and such a um, <laughs> foolishness to, for him to have to do, for him to go through that, and um, and so apart from the theology that it was necessary for us to be accepted to God, acceptable to God, which. I don't really believe that anymore, <laughs> but I think it was necessary for some other reasons that um, Jesus maybe didn't know himself why God said, um, his father said, you have to go through with it. But for me, it makes him seem truly human that he uh, submitted to the authorities and was, and was killed like so many innocent people are still killed today. Um, so I, you know, but it may seem foolishness on the outside that that this seemed like an utter failure, I'm sure, to a lot of people. But um, so God's weakness is stronger than human strength. That is um, that is very good to keep in mind when people in power um, seem to have all the power over you and can make your life miserable or whatever else. But uh, God's God's weakness is stronger than human strength is a good thing to keep in mind. Thanks. Thank you, Judith. Tim? Yeah, thank you, Omar. Thanks. Um, thank you, Asis. You know, the, Asis, the question of violence and nonviolence that you, you raised um, really stands out to me, and it's reminding me of a reflection from a, from a friend, from a Mennonite pastor here in the U.S. this week on this text, um, where he, he too points out that, that Jesus doesn't hurt any person in this story, 
um, but rather with uh, creates this um, creates this whip, and in his righteous anger, he becomes a shepherd herding cattle, um, and while damaging the marketplace, um, Jesus returns the animals and the coins back to the crowd, and so there's a real systemic commentary that I heard in your reflection, I see, so I really appreciate it, and in and, and, and tying it to some of the uprisings here in the U.S. too over the last year, this question of what you know, from whence our zeal or our righteous anger, or, you know, when the holy is defiled, it begs the question for me, you know, where is the holy? And if the holy is in the bodies of God's, God's children, do we, do we feel that zeal? Do we feel that righteous anger when bodies are harmed, when backs are broken, when bones are broken, or only when windows are broken or when tables are broken? And so this is a real important question that I, I hear you raising for us um, that I'm, I'm going to reflect on today is where is the holy? Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Um, before I go to Lillian, I would like to say something to respond to Tim and to you, Assis, and to what Caroline said. I mean, I have a different perspective. I mean, I like the concept of righteous ang anger. I like anger. I love anger. I think anger is extremely important and has been fought in the church. I don't think that we can claim righteous anger or a different kind of anger. It's, it, uh, we need to say, what are you angry about? And for us, when we walk, I mean, through the checkpoints, most people are not angry, and that's the problem. When we, walk, we see the wall, students, when I mean it is, people lose their jobs, lose their lands. People are trying to control. I mean, there isn't enough anger. And I think anger is the tool to change the status quo. Um, uh, so that's part of me. So I think that anger is important. It depends on why are you angry? Are you for selfish reasons, for um, um, individualistic reasons, or for community reasons, um, and for God reasons? So I think anger doesn't need to be righteous. Um, it depends on, I mean, in a way, just to justify anger or bad anger. Um, so that's one part. Another part I really felt maybe maybe I misunderstood you as CS, but I really did not um, it didn't speak to me. In a way, I felt that there is injustice when you said that it is it's the whip is for the cattle. The cattle are innocent. They were brought by the greedy people. Um, uh, the, the poor people, the, the normal people have been abused by the system. And why are we angry that Jesus got angry? We should be really happy. Um, he, he, he made the foundation of a movement that it is even in the holiest of the holy, nothing is sacred more than the people. And I think the whip was for the people who were, for, for the oppressors. What's wrong with this? In a way, why do we have to make, you know, why do we have to try to really, um, to say that God cannot be angry? Well, angry is, anger is not a sin, it's righteous. It really speaks to the people who are, um, um, who are suffering, the people who are in chains. It's good for people to be angry for slavery because it puts an end to slavery. It's good for people who are angry on people who abuse their partners and so on because it puts an end to it. It, it starts the cycle of solving a problem. It's good for people to be angry on the corruption on the, in the church because it fixes the church. Uh, silence makes problems grow. Anger paves the way for a solution. Um, so, I mean, I, I felt very sympathetic 
um, with the animals, that the whip was for the animals. I mean, if it's, I was with my kids at the temple, my kids would be very upset with Jesus whipping the animals. That's not something that how we see Jesus. But I tell you, if it's um, uh, if the whip was for the oppressors and the, uh, and the greedy um, uh, money changers, I think everybody would be happy and people would be smiling. One more thing that I really caught my attention in the text was the silence of the crowds. The crowds were silent. You know, it is it takes lots of courage for somebody to stand up and to to turn the tables into the system. And usually, it is it's. On the long run, this person becomes a hero. But in most cases, that person, everybody watches. Now it's time for that person to be punished. He shouldn't have done so. That was not really wise, and so on. And there is so much tension. We feel it in the churches, in the communities, when you stand and you speak truth um, to power. Usually, most people will not give you, you know, it is it's not like giving a lecture or a sermon in a conference. People would say, you're, you're an idiot. Why did you do this? It's, uh, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to pay a price. But um, the silence of the people and the silence today with all of the corruption that is happening around us, with all of the injustice, um, whether it is in Palestine, whether it is in Israel, whether it is in, in, in all of the world, most of us are silent. And that's what we have learned at Sabil. It is push people to speak. And that is very important and very essential, um, in my opinion. And it's I really see that the silent crowds they were a little bit when it was more a friendly atmosphere on Palm Sunday. They started chanting Hosanna because they knew Hosanna did not come because he was on a donkey, I think. It's because he was the one who turned the tables. Um, <laughs> that's the Hosanna. I mean, it is, it's, that's the, um, because they saw that he, uh, Jesus is capable. Um, I mean, it is, it's, I mean, it is, it's, I know that the incident with the timeline, but it is, it is the one who was shaking the system. He's the one who's turning the tables, giving sight to the blind and preaching justice. But then it's the people, the church blows up and starts speaking truth is on Pentecost. And that's why we say it's the birthday of the church, because this is when people are coming and saying, really walking in the footsteps of Jesus, challenging the, um, the oppressor. And this is why we see Paul and Peter and John and all of the disciples according to church tradition, end up on the cross, or I mean, carrying a specific cross or paying a price for the discipleship. So that's in my opinion, I mean, it's um, in a way, um, I mean, that's what I wanted to share. And no, I like to be angry and I, I am, and when I'm angry, I like to show it. And I like to show the people who make me angry that I am angry, that's my nature. That's, uh, so there's nothing wrong with it in my opinion. Of course, I'm not as holy as a cease. I am, it's good to be a sinner. Jesus loves the sinners. Uh, Omar, thanks for your, for your comments. I just want to say one, uh, one thing about the whip. Um, I first of all, I think you made a number of important points, which I think we can reflect on. But the whip, when I said that it is for the cattle, I did not mean that you, you, you hit but I've seen enough Western movies or cowboy movies to know that if you want to round up cattle, you know, you need a whip. You don't whip them. You don't whip the cattle. You try to manage their exit or their entrance into somewhere. So uh, I think that's why the, this is the way I would understand uh, in, the, in John's gospel, the whip, you know, because the other gospels, 
you don't have any mention about about uh, cattle. You don't our sheep in the in the temple. It's only in John that this is the, the case. And how do you get the how do you get the cattle out if you did not have the whip the way at least they use it in order to really uh, get the cattle out, outside? You know. So that's that's the only thing. Other than that, I think your points are very important. And thank you for sharing them with us. Any other? We still have just. Uh, yes, we have Lillian and then Fahed Abu Akhil. Okay, I. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. Please. Okay, I wanted to say I agree with you about the whip. He could have thrown the whip on the ground, just. Uh, yes. not on the ground and the cattle and the people realize that he was serious. It's like yes. a mother uh, holding a wooden spoon. She never hits her boys with a wooden spoon, but once she shows them the whip, the wooden spoon, they, they quiet down, even though she never used it. Yes. And maybe that's how um, Jesus used it. I but think so. I, I think wanted so. to address uh, what Carolyn O'Neill said about her experience at school. And, and I think this is how we are silenced. Um, I, when I was in a church in Sarnia, I had a middle Palestinian meal uh, to raise money to a Palestinian family in Ramallah who were, um, be the woman became a widow and had cancer and had four children and she was only in her thirties. And I got a guy coming to see me to tell me that I was serving the devil by having a Palestinian meal. And when I went ahead and had the Palestinian meal, he wrote me a letter that was threatening. And when I showed it to people in my church and told my boys about it, they said, mom, you gotta call the police. That's how he tried to stop me from uh, having the Palestinian supper at the church. And I had more than one supper thanks to him a lot of people donated a lot of money because when they found out that, um, you know, his letter, about his letter, which I didn't keep a secret, um, they started donating, but they didn't want to come to the supper because they were afraid that, uh, you know, something will happen. But they donated much more than what I was charging for the supper. I was charging $25 for a lamb meat uh, supper, a lamb supper. And... Uh, and I had a cook from Gaza. <laughs> and, uh, and it shows you, it shows you how we can be silenced. Like some people kept telling me, cancel, cancel. I said, no way am I canceling. It's the opposite. I mean, that's we have to stop being afraid. And we need to write to politicians. Every, if write to your politician, it's so important to write to your politician. And something else I started doing is getting stickers and writing on the stickers stolen from Palestine or don't support apartheid. And whenever I see a product in Canada coming from Israel, I stick that sticker on it. Anyhow, I wanted you to know that we need to act. We can't keep feeling sorry for ourselves and for what's happening to our people. And I feel terrible about the children in, who are so young to be in jail and some are in isolation and we need to more than prayer we need to act we need to write politicians 
and we need to speak up even if we get attacked. And again, thank you, Carolyn, for sharing that. And thank you everybody for sharing. It's so, so good. I'm glad to be with you. Thank you. Thanks, Lillian. Um, thank you. Ahead, yeah. I just uh, want to take Lillian point to one more direction. The state of uh, Texas, where uh, Assis Naim lives, the state of Georgia is one of 33 states that want to silence people uh, when it comes to BDS. Uh, at this point in the state of Georgia, you needed to sign a contract. The last page of that contract, if it was $1,000, you needed to say, I promise not to boycott uh, uh, Israel. And uh, when Abby Martin took them to court, she's going to win. Look what they did. They went to the legislature and this week is going to pass. They jumped that $1,000 to $100,000. But the issue is the most holy thing for American is to speak, to express yourself and all of that. That most holy thing is being suppressed because of Palestine. So I want us to start moving from prayer and words, how we in the US, in Canada and UK and other places, can we affect legislation that uh, sooner or later, they're going to say to Naeem and Fahed, go jump in the lake. You don't have the right to speak for Palestinian rights. It's dangerous, but we don't feel it. Um, yeah, thank you, Fahed. And, and I think, you know, I think probably we have to stop here, but um, um, I think we need to continue this discussion, you know. We I have Caroline, um, Assis, oh, we have one okay. more person. I think, okay. I hope I did not miss let's, anybody. Let's, let's, let's hear Caroline. Sorry, um, I just wanted to uh, quickly, very quickly to respond to um, Lillian. And, um, you know, when the teacher complained, she also copied in um, a, uh, you know, the deputy head of the school, uh, so as to sort of almost kind of shame me, really, in a sense. Um, and I just responded back to her. I sent an email and said, um, you know, um, thank you for your message. Um, you know, I'm very willing to meet with you and um, to discuss this situation with you um, because, you know, surely the situation in Israel and Palestine, you know, no one is, no one is the winner in this situation. And, um, but, you know, inside I did feel fear because, you know, I thought, wow, you know, I could actually lose my job here. Um, but I, I sent her the message and she never, she never replied um, to me. But I felt for some time that, you know, if I saw her, she, she would look away from me. Um, but yeah, I mean, still I see her and I try to make some you know, kind of friendship, but uh, yeah. 
anyway, that was all. But thank you very much for elaborating um, and saying more. And also, uh, thank you, Omar, very much indeed for what you said. I, I think I learned a lot from that. I really did. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, thank you, Caroline. And uh, thank you all for your uh, input. And I think uh, we touched on very important things. Uh, I think righteous anger has to do with you know, things that are righteous, things that we must take a stand for uh, because they have to do with our brothers and sisters who are oppressed, you know. So this is, when we take a stand for that is very important. And Omar, thank you also again for your comments and you've raised some important issues. I think, we, thank you all. Let's move into the wave of prayer at this time. Like to invite Omar and uh, uh, I think Cedar and uh, Cedar. yes, yeah. Yes. This week's Kumi Now online gathering was on how Palestinian women are taking up new opportunities to participate in nonviolent resistance to the occupation. The session took place on Tuesday, the 9th of March. Lord, we thank you for the courage of the Palestinian women working for justice and peace in their land and for a brighter future for their children. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. The World Health Organization reported on Thursday, the 25th of February, that three residents of Gaza were among those denied medical permits to cross the Beit Hanun Eris crossing to travel for urgent hospital treatment. In January, a 16-year-old child had requested a permit to receive treatment for a blood disorder, and two male cancer patients had also been refused permission to attend hospital. Lord, we pray that the Israeli authorities will show mercy and grant permits to those in need of critical treatment in hospitals outside the Gaza enclave. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. On Monday, the 1st of March, Israeli soldiers seized a tractor belonging to Palestinian farmers in the village of Berin, south of Hebron. The villagers were attempting to cultivate and reclaim their land when the seizure took place. Previously, land belonging to the residents of Berin had been annexed by Israelis from the nearby Bene Hefer settlement. Lord, we pray for all Palestinian farmers who are denied the right to cultivate and reclaim their land. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. On Sunday, the 28th of February, Muhammad Abu Hummus, a 17-year-old Palestinian boy from the al neighborhood, was attacked by Israeli settlers in the French Hill area of occupied East Jerusalem. The settlers had thrown stones at him and he sustained a serious facial injury. We pray, Lord, that Muhammad will receive the medical care he needs to treat his injuries. We pray too that this violent incident will be thoroughly investigated and that his assailants will face prosecution. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Hear our prayer. We join with the, no, this is not for me. 
we join with the World Council of Churches in their prayers for the countries of Ireland and the United Kingdom, England, Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayers. Let's take a few moments of silent prayer, remembering the sick, especially those whom we know, the needy, those affected by the virus, those who have died because of the virus and their families. Let's pray for our families also, our friends and neighbors. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Let us confess our sins to Almighty God. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us our sins. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen us in all goodness. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. Let us say together the Lord's Prayer in our different languages. أبانا الذي في السماوات Let us commit ourselves to walk in love. Let's say together the Agape Creed. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It does not keep a record of wrongs. It does not celebrate injustice, but rejoices in the truth. Love never gives up, never loses faith, 
always hopes, always endures. Love cannot be conquered. And together we say, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. And Auntie Semia, can you please send us, let us go in peace. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.